Hey friends, this is Andy Storch, and I'm excited to announce that we are bringing the Talent Development Think Tank Conference back on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. Yes, you might remember we hosted this conference for the first time in January 2020, and it was a huge hit with everyone telling us it was the best conference they ever attended. And of course, we were looking forward to running it again in 2021 until the pandemic hit. That's when I launched the Talent Development Think Tank membership community, and that's been going strong since May of 2020. But I know how valuable it is to get people together in person, and that's why we are excited to be bringing the conference back again on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. I'm committed to making this a highly engaging and interactive event where you can connect, learn, and grow together with other talent development professionals. This is going to be the best event out there in talent development, and I would love to see you there. If you want to find more information and get your tickets today, the website is tdtt.us conference. That's tdtt.us slash conference. I hope to see you there. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat, a show where I interview business executives, talent development professionals, and thought leaders to find out what has been successful and challenging in the world of talent development. My objective is to share ideas, valuable lessons, tools, advice, and trends. My hope is that all of this will ultimately help you, the listener, expand your knowledge, grow your career, and accelerate your success as a talent development professional. Everybody, welcome to the podcast. I am your host, Andy Storch, and I'm excited that you're joining me today for an interview with my friend, Ed Musio. And Ed is one of the planet's clearest thinkers on management practice. He's the CEO of Group Harmonics and author of three books, including his latest, Iterate, Run a Fast, Flexible, Focused Management Team, which describes iterative management practices that the highest performing organizations use to make informed decisions. He's a leader in the application of analytical models to group and organizational effectiveness and output, and his analytical approach to human productivity has been featured in national and international media, including CBS, Fox Business News, New York Post, Huffington Post, and now this podcast. Ed, welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat. Andy, thank you. I'm glad to be part of this podcast and the Talent Development Hot Seat. Thanks for having me. Yes, the best media publication that you've been a part of yet, I'm sure, and of course, we got introduced to our mutual friend, Bennett Phillips, who is also my partner in the upcoming Talent Development Think Tank Conference, where you are going to be participating. I am. I'll be talking about some of the same things we're talking about today, iterative management and how to help your management team really run well. Awesome. Yeah, I'm really excited about that. I want to dive into your book and this whole idea of iterative management, and then maybe we can touch a little bit on what else you might be covering at the conference? Because of course, I want to find an opportunity to, to tease that to anybody listening who may want to come. But let's start with your background. You've got three books now. How did all this come about? You know, it was kind of an accident. I originally was just working consulting and I said, I kind of need to write a book because everyone does that. And, and that led to the second book. And I always say the first two were like, the first one, I wanted to say something. And the second one, I think I had something to say. But then I went about almost 10 years actually between number two and number three. And I was just really working and getting deep into work with a mentor of mine, work with my clients, and really getting analytical about kind of what makes management teams function well. And by the time I got around to this book, Iterate, it was like, okay, now it's not that I want to say something or have something to say. I think I actually have something that needs to be said. I think I'm talking about something that's badly needed and I don't hear it getting discussed enough. So I feel like it's a real value to say, you know, here's a different way to look at your management team. 
You know what? That's so interesting. I can see that happening. You know, I've been thinking about writing a book. I know a lot of people with books and, you know, sometimes there's just that pressure that, hey, if you're in the consulting space or you want to be taken seriously or get more speaking gigs or whatever it is, then you, know, you need to have a book. And I could see people, a lot of people just kind of forcing that first one. But then once you have that experience to know and recognize, hey, what's the need in the market? And you saw that with this one, there needed to be a book about this. So what was it about this content that was screaming to you, I need to write a book about this? Well, you know, that's just it. I, I, there's nothing wrong with the other reasons for writing a book. But what I'm noticing is, and what I've been noticing is, when we talk about, and, and maybe this is a good time to talk about this idea that I have about, like we have a language problem around management. You know, when you say management, you think about, okay, I'm managing somebody else. I have a direct report. And if you look at it, as soon as you have a direct report, there's a whole set of stuff you have to do, like set goals and model policy and figure out compensation and help with development. And, and have regular conversations with them. It's so have regular just... one-on-one conversations and deal with their issues with them and, and kind of support engagement and those kind of things. Right. And there's so much information out there about that. And a lot of it's really good. And I would say all of that, in my mind, falls under the heading of what I call managing with a capital ING, which is whatever level you're at, you have one direct report, you're managing. Sometimes you have matrix reports. But there's something else that I call management with a capital MENT, which is the group of people in the company that are helping to set the direction, helping the company to keep adjusting itself so it stays on course. And it's a different and complementary set of activities to managing. But what I have found is that there's not enough content and clarity about what it means to be on a management team and to function as a member of a management team, which is complex because you're in collaboration, but you're also in competition with your fellow managers, right? You're always coming with bad news. You're always finding things aren't quite working the right way and what to do about that. So it's really a, a different related skill set. And what I'm seeing is there's not enough out there on how to do that well. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, managing is obviously the act. You've got people who report to you to do all those things to be a good manager to them and manage their performance. And so management, you're saying, is you know the group of people coming together to keep things in the company on course. And I thought it was interesting that you said that managers are working in collaboration and also competition. So what do you mean by that? Yeah, well, I mean, if you look at, you know, I can go kind of sideways on this for a second, but one of the interesting things about all the work that's been done on, you know, social research on people working in teams and solving problems is they grab seven people, you know, off campus or whatever, put them in a room, give them a problem, and they study the, the phases they go through, you know, Tuckman's model, forming, storming, all this different work has been done around these people that are stuck in a room as strangers to solve a problem. When you look at people that are in management, they're not strangers. They're playing a long game, right? The meeting they're in, the issue they're trying to solve today around where do we put this resource or what do we do about this problem, whatever, you know, they have a history together. They like or don't like each other. They owe each other favors or want to punish each other, you know, in bad situations. They have a future together. They can't do anything now that'll damage a future thing they're working on. Even today, they're working on some other other issues with each other. So we're talking about this issue, but you know, you and I, Andy, we've been in two different groups as peers to our boss. And, and I have something else I want from you later today. So that's going to become incorporated. So it really is a much more complex interaction. And so we are, on, in the one sense, collaborating to get the work of the organization done. But in the other sense, we are competing for resources, right? Our group has a finite number of resources. And even if things are working well and we're totally functional, the organization wants us to compete for those resources at one level because it's us who figure out the best use of those resources, right? So it's us who say, you know, I have a proposal. No, I have a proposal. Let's work that out. What's the best use of the resources? And so that's, you know, it's collaboration and it's competition. Well, you talk about competing for resources. I was also thinking when you said that the potential competition for attention, for, you know, attribution, for potential promotion, 
who's going to be the next CEO or vice president or whatever, you know, bench strength, that kind of thing, and looking at different managers and saying, okay, this one is coming up with better ideas than him or her over there. Is there a little bit of that involved too? Absolutely. And one of the things that is sort of a core theme of my work in my book is if you're running a team of managers and you know that's going on, you know, people have this reptile brain that's basically saying my boss is between me and survival and how do I position myself to survive and, you know, keep myself in good stead and everything. One of the most important things you do as a person running a team of managers is to define success correctly and Mm. to make sure that people go beyond their individual goals. Meaning, you know, if, if our boss says, hey, Ed, here's the Ed goals and hey, Andy, here's the Andy goals, he has set up silos or she has set up silos in doing that. Then we can talk a good game about collaboration. But the truth is at the end of the year, you know, I can succeed at your expense and vice versa, right? If on the other hand, our boss says one of the key things I advocate for it, which is, you know, we're part of a management team. The team has an output to the organization. You know, my goals, the boss level goals are the team's output to the organization. And so Ed, Andy, you know, your peers, you all carry individual goals in support of the team goals, but we succeed or fail together. So Mm -hmm. when our management team delivers to the organization, we've succeeded. When it doesn't, we've failed. That takes this whole, you know, Ed can succeed at Andy's expense off the table. And, you know, it doesn't make people nicer, but it does make them collaborate more, right? I'll actually, I'll actually push help on you and you'll push help on me if we detect the other person in trouble, because your failure is my failure. And that's a, it's a tough message. It's different than the, what I call the North American norm, you know, North American management story of guy on a horse, independent, but it's mm. actually the reality of how things work. Interesting. Yeah. And in theory, we're all in this together. We all work for an organization. So we want that organization to succeed. So if I'm doing well, but I see that your team is floundering, maybe I should offer you some help because we want everyone to succeed, to achieve our organizational goals, to increase the stock price, whatever it is. But it sounds like you are saying that a lot of companies, most companies are not doing that. Well, this, you know, we're heavily driven by, you know, North American cultural norms, right? And, and this independence, this individuality is a strong cultural norm in our, in our country. And we've heavily influenced from our country to the rest of the world in terms of how management works, not unilaterally, but quite a bit. And so, yeah, there's this idea that, you know, good management is our boss giving me clear goals and you clear goals and having us sort it out. But the problem with that is the goals are interrelated. And, you know, like you said, ultimately, we're all striving for the top level goals of the company. And all companies say that, right? Like think the bigger picture and, you know, wear the bigger hat. There's all these different phrases for it. But the truth of the matter is until the boss, you know, at the level of our group, whether we're at the top group, you know, CEO and staff, or whether we're somewhere in the middle, until that boss says, understand what you're here for. You're here as the person who controls part of the resource and activity of this team in support of the output of this team. And, you know, you are better or worse at that to the extent that you coordinate and provide your resources, you know, in collaboration and in conjunction with the resources of your peers, right? So to deliver your result not in coordination with your peer is not helpful. You know, it's so easy to think about this. If you take, you know, imagine sort of a small fictitious company. You've got the person at the head of the company And they're going to, let's say, develop, produce, and sell a product, right? So you've got someone in charge of development, someone in charge of production, someone in charge of sales, right? And so so you would look at this and say, you know, clearly if we develop and we produce, but we don't sell, or we develop and we sell, we don't produce, or we can't, you know, develop, right? So we sell a bunch, but they aren't developed or produced, right? I mean, any of these things is a failure and the whole company fails. So it's so easy to think of it there. What we have to do is take that down to any other level and say, whatever level you're at, your management team has output it owes the next level. And your management team is a team in support of that output. Yeah, absolutely. It makes sense. You're supporting the collaborative goals we talked about. 
If you work in talent development, you know that your job has become more important than ever. The problem is there's so much uncertainty and noise out in the business world and things are changing so fast, it's hard to know where to go and what tools and resources to use to solve your problems. That's why I recently launched the Talent Development Think Tank community as a central and safe place to access information, ask questions, and talk with other L&D professionals like you so that you can achieve your goals and accelerate your career. Join today to get instant access to our online platform and community of ambitious, helpful talent development professionals who understand your world and can help you solve your problems. Right now, I'm offering 25% off the subscription price to podcast listeners. Just go to talentdevelopmentthinktank.com and use code HOTSEAT for 25% off. That's talentdevelopmentthinktank.com and use code HOTSEAT. Thanks, and on to the episode. Now, I want to get to speed because you know your subtitle for the book Iterate is run a fast, flexible, focused management team. So we talked about collaboration, but I'm interested in the, you know, the fast part and obviously flexibility and focus. These are all things that could work together, but also seem different to me. Like one person could be big on, we need to stay focused and have clarity and move slowly to make sure that we stay focused. So how do you do all of these things? Yeah, so it probably is worth backing up for a second. And let me just talk for a minute about the concept of iteration. I think a lot of people know okay. what I mean. I always use the metaphor of, you know, you walk out the door of the mall and your car is way across the parking lot somewhere and you don't know where it is, but you know you need to get there in three minutes to stay on schedule. Which has happened to me many times. <laughs> it's good if you have an idea where it is, right? So what do you yeah. do? You look at your watch, you say, I have three minutes to get to my car and you start walking in the direction you think the car is, right? And so now what's happening? Well, your feet, let's call that the workforce, right? They're dealing with gravel and slippery surface and things like that. And they're making adjustments to the muscles down there. And all of that is happening without intervention from the executive level up top, right? Who your brain said, get there in three minutes, go this way, right? And so you start walking, your feet are dealing with this. If they need more blood oxygen, that's a resource. They can escalate, right? The surface is too difficult. They can send an escalation to middle management, your cardiovascular system. Sometimes middle management satisfies that, sends down more. Sometimes middle management has to further escalate and then you get that feeling in your brain which says, I better walk slower, breathe harder, right? So you've got this upward flow of information. At the same time, you're looking where you're going and you're realizing there's an obstruction, you know, that's not actually my car, I'm going the wrong way. And so you're feeding information down. And so what you have is a whole system with information moving up from the bottom and down from the top. And the whole system just has one goal, which is right at this moment with everything we know, what is the next most useful step we can take? And then you take it and then you learn from it. And then it's right at this moment with everything we know, what's the next most useful step? And so that's a feedback system. And in an organization, if you think of an organization working that way, you know, what we don't want is we don't want the feet having a fight over which foot goes first. We don't want you know, the, the management saying, turn, 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 there's a hole, and the feet walking into the hole because that was the plan. You know, so you want this same level of agility, which comes from take a step, learn from it, adjust if necessary. And so that management we're talking about with the capital Mint is actually serving as the feedback system of the organization. Not feedback in like the, how are you doing at your job, you know, one-on-one -on -one employee kind of thing. That's an important and different feedback. This is the feedback system like the thermostat in your house that's checking, what are we trying to do? Where are we? What do we need, right? Turn the air on, turn the air off. And that's the role of management. And so once you have that iteration going on, that starts to lead to this speed and agility because you can take a lot of steps in what you're sure is the right direction. And then as soon as you learn it's not the right direction, you can immediately turn in small ways and big ways back on track. And so my work is around 
you know, what things are going on in management that enable that to happen, you know, and enable it to happen efficiently. Okay. So I, I love the thermostat metaphor because it makes it so easy to understand, right? The thermostat, you set the thermostat to 72 degrees and it's constantly checking what's the temperature on the, inside the house at 75. Okay. We need to cool it down or it's 69. Exactly. We're totally fine. We don't need to do anything, right? Unless the heat, unless your heat is on and then we need to raise it up. So you're saying management needs to do the same thing, which is constantly checking in on what's going on, what's our progress towards our goals, what's our progress towards the organizational success, what adjustments do we need to make based on the steps we've taken, and then what's our next step forward. Exactly. And one of the key things about that, so, so I talk in terms of the sort of five key practices of companies that do this and the managers mm. that do it. And we've been talking about one already, that idea of linked teams and that upward look. Another one of the key things is around how we look at our work. And I call it output and status broadcast. And the two important things, the first one is obvious. You have to understand what the output is, right? So every manager understands like what is the actual countable output they're trying to produce. And that can be easier or harder depending on what kind of output it is. But the second thing, and I think the thing, again, that's not well understood out there in the world of management is the way in which you show that output, the way in which you talk about that output you know, the, the North American norm is you kind of get together in a staff meeting and say, you know, so Ed, how's it going? And, you know, my boss tells me that. And I say, well, let me tell you, boss. And I kind of talk for a few minutes. And then our boss says, you know, so Andy, how's it going? And you go, well, things are going pretty good. Or, you know, I'm a little worried about this. And so it's these long kind of narrative discussions. And what you end up is a lot of discussion and not a lot of action, which is not fast, right? So what we need instead is we need me to be able to say, here's a visual representation of not only where I'm trying to go. In other words, what I think the future looks like in terms of, let's say, my plan, right? Here's what I said I would do. Here's the POR, whatever you want to call it, plan a record, right? But I also need a second graphical thing on that same picture that says, based on what I know today, here's a second version of the future, which is or is not different than that, right? So I'm either on plan or off plan. So some people call this plan versus forecast, old future versus new future, you know, pick your language. But, you know, what I'm saying is, I'm now telling you the extent to which the heading I'm on is or isn't going to lead us to the thing we said we wanted to get to. So the type of report that I make is, you know, OSIR, which is output status issue recommendation. So the output is, here's what I'm trying to do. The status is, here's the extent to which the future is or isn't in alignment with what I thought it would be, meaning, you know, I'm off track or I'm not. If I'm off track, the issue is, here's why that's happening. And most importantly, the recommendation is, here's what I think we should do about it. And so if I can make that presentation in a group of managers in fairly brief form, I've now put something on the table for the managers to talk about, which is actionable, because it's, what can we do today about this new understanding we have of the future to take us back on track? And that is remarkably different than most of what goes on in management meetings, which sound more like, why did this happen? Or where are we? Or, you know, what do we think will happen next? This is, here's what we think will happen next. What adjustment should we make in light of it? And it's a lot more nimble and agile if you can do it. Mm, okay. I was going to ask you about the difference between that and what normally goes on. Because it sounds like, I mean, you, you go to status meetings, right? In big companies. And oh, it just makes me cringe thinking about going to those. And the old days, I've been to many that are just, you know, go on too long. And I'm sure there are many that are very effective. And I know everybody listening runs very effective team meetings, of course. But... You're, you're asking people, hey, what's the status of this project that you're working on, right? Which is, here's where we came from. Here's where we are right now. Here's what's going on. They might share a challenge. They might share some wins. But they're not necessarily revisiting what the future was previously defined as and where they're going now and if that needs to be adjusted. And so what you're saying is you, you apply this framework and now you are adjusting 
the future state, possibly even the goals with it based on what's been happening so far. Exactly, right? If I come in and I say, here's, you know, here's a picture of what I've done so far. Here's how many widgets I made per week until today. Or here's the milestones I did or didn't hit up till today if it's a project, right? Whatever it is. If I come in with that, then anything we're going to talk about, about things we can do today to affect the future has to start with this sort of narrative kind of, so Ed, what do you expect to happen, right? And that's clunky if I'm not ready for it. And also it's got that issue of that reptile brain we were talking about, which is I don't particularly want to disclose my problems to you right? So unless we have some real strong norms around, you know, look, whenever I show you something, I show you old forecast, new forecast difference. And yeah, so that we lead ourselves to the question of, let's take action today. Let's shuffle our resources or adjust our expectations today to bring us back into line with what we expect. Because, you know, remember, if I'm doing something on a management team, you know, somebody else is dependent on me if we're coordinating our work, you know, my output delivery matters. So if I'm going to deliver early or late or more or less, there's somebody else in the team that matters to. And the sooner I can forecast that, the sooner they can adjust to it or help me and get me back on track. Otherwise, everything's green until it's not, right? And that's what often goes on in those status meetings. Everything's fine until there's a huge problem. And then it's a, how did this happen kind of conversation. Well, and what if things change so much that the goal is changing, right? Your idea of success is changing because, you know, the, the ultimate boss says, we're going a different direction now. Or you know, you and I planned on talking about your book in this interview, but then you say something about innovation and we just go off on this tangent and have this great conversation about it and we decide to just roll with it. Or we stop halfway and say, are we actually talking about what we said we're going to talk about? Do we want to adjust course and go back to talking about the book and talking about iteration? We could iterate our way through this whole interview. We probably will. <laughs> you know, and, and, and that's right, right? So it's absolutely fine. And this is, I think, one of the things that it seems a little counterintuitive at first, although it's very clear to me, having been tickled in it for a long time, right, is it's totally fine and completely acceptable for a word to come down from the top. We are turning hard left. And what happens? Our outputs are now different. Our forecasts are now messy. And, you know, for the next week or so, we're confused about how we're going to do that. And then we adopt, you know, our model. And we say, okay, now these are the new outputs we're heading for. So our new plan is thus. And so from now on, we're going to track variance to the new plan. When everybody has that very clear understanding of what output they're producing and what track they're on, it makes it very easy to turn because you can say, if I change our top level, you know, our team charter from here to here, what does that do to you? When everybody is less clear, when everybody is sort of saying, well, I have, let's say, a date I expect to deliver by and I've colored it yellow to indicate I'm probably going to be late because we're usually late. And that's the extent of the clarity that I have. Then when someone says we're going to shift, it's like, well, I wasn't going to hit that anyway. So what's different, right? So the less clarity you have initially, the harder it is to turn. And so that's part of what gives the organization that agility is to be able to say, you know, we were clear with ourselves on what we we're trying to do. We are now equally clear. We're trying to do something else. How does that cascade down? So, you know, if you, don't, if you need to, you can. This episode of the Talent Development Hot Seat is sponsored by Advantage Performance Group. Advantage is the first place to call when you need leaders to lead, sellers to sell, and your business to flourish. We specialize in connecting companies with exceptional learning solutions to help them turn strategy into action and get their people doing the best work of their lives. We're also providing tons of great content on a weekly basis. In fact, we recently launched a great webinar series that has been going on weekly with content such as creating a culture of multipliers, gender equity, Liz Weissman's webinar on helping rid the world of bad bosses. We have a new webinar from Brent Snow on decision-making. We have a webinar on multipliers and how to use multipliers during troubled times, calming the storm. 
We have a webinar from our partner, Julie Winkle Giulioni, on developing in place how to continue your growth during remote working, and a webinar from Paul Middleton on the secret sauce for learning in the flow of work, plus many more. Just head to our website at advantageperformance.com. Click on free resources and you'll find the link to webinars and all of our other insights and resources there. Thanks for listening. And now back to the show. Now, a lot of companies are going through big changes. I hear it all the time with you know, clients and prospects that I meet with that, hey, we're going through this digital transformation or cultural transformation. We've got to change how our employees interact with our customers or we're becoming more of a digital company, whatever it may be. Everybody's making changes. Everybody's going through a transformation. And I know you have a point of view on change management that comes from this as well. How does this fit into that and helping companies ensure that they are getting people aligned to that new strategy or culture and that they're changing effectively. Right. Well, we talked about, so, you know, managing with a capital N and management with a capital M. There's this third thing you brought up, which is change management with, I guess, a capital change, right? Yeah. And that's yet another body of work, very important. And it's around, as you said, like if we need to make major substantial shifts in how we serve our market or, you know, giant reorganization type things, you know, and we have these giant campaigns of change, then we need change management. We need to understand things about the psychology of change and early adopters and late adopters and executive sponsors. And all of that is, is critical in those situations. If you don't have good management with a capital Mint, then every change is a big change. And every change is a change management campaign. And now you have, and I have met companies like this, you have the company trying to manage itself through change management. So if we want to produce you know, 10% more widgets this year to meet market demand, I have to run around the organization and push that idea. Right. If we want to, you know, change the way we interact with our customers, which is maybe a small fraction of the overall workforce, I have to do a change management campaign on that idea. Change management isn't wrong, but if I have this nimble, adaptable management with a capital Mint system that can incorporate changes more automatically, then that's complementary because that means, yeah, the giant changes still need change management. You know, if we're going to stop making, I don't know, toasters and start making rocket ships, that's change management. But if we're just going to make 10% more toasters, or we're just going to, you know, change the heating element or something. That's just, you know, the course of normal flux, right? There's a lot of change, like you said, every day. And if our management team is not organized and, and equipped in such a way to just keep processing that change, we're going to stall out, you know, we're going to delay the smaller changes until they become bigger ones. We're going to overwhelm ourselves with changes that are too big. And we're going to put ourselves in a situation where we can't change fast enough because there's too much to change, right? So it's the little incrementals along the way that keep us in good shape for the bigger ones rehearsed for the bigger ones and also needing less of them. Yeah, absolutely. Now, along with this, I would imagine if you're talking about iterating a lot, data be, plays an important role. I read in your bio that you're the leader in the application of analytical models to group and organizational effectiveness and output. I think a lot of people that I talk to in HR and talent development are starting to get access to a lot of data, but don't necessarily know what to do with it, how to use these analytical models. So what does that mean and how can people start to use that more effectively to make decisions and manage better? You know, one of the things that I get asked sometimes, especially in, in podcasts and, and interviews and, and contexts and with groups that are kind of in the HR space and the talent management space is like, you know, what can HR VPs or HR OD people, what can they be doing, you know, talent development people be doing to better engage their clients? And one of my answers is always get really involved with your clients on how they manage and craft their work, right? So, you know, there's a lot of HR analytics. We can talk about that. But before you do that, go get in bed with your client a little bit and understand, you know, what is it they're forecasting? What are they managing? You can ask them some questions around like, for example, show me, you know, first of all, tell me your countable output 
Do you know what it is? Okay, great. Show me how you track whether you're doing it. Okay, great. Show me how you forecast what you're going to do next. Are you forecasting? Maybe you need to. And if so, okay, now show me how you talk to your peers and your boss about how the future you know, forecast and the future plan are different, right? So show me where you represent this difference. And if you can, you know, I think HR is uniquely positioned to coach and advise in that area. Uh, too often, we sort of shy away from that and say, well, that's, that's the business thing. I'm going to focus on, you know, hiring metrics or something. And hiring metrics are important. But if you don't understand the outputs and you can't coach them on the outputs they're trying to deliver, you might have a hard time creating your own output plan to support that, absent understanding it, right? I don't know if I answered your question or not, but that's my big thing on data is make sure you know what your clients are counting. Right. Don't just use data for data's sake or start throwing yeah, numbers yeah. at people. Basically, what you're saying is go get to know your clients. And that would mean if you're a talent development or HR, probably internal clients and find out what are their goals? What are their objectives? How do they define success? What are their key metrics? And see how you can align to that and support them and be a true business partner if that's your role or you're trying to be by really understanding what they're trying to do and, and then grabbing whatever data you may need to inform the, the decisions you're making to support them. Yeah, right. And that's going to help you too, you know, whatever your data is. So let's say you are a hiring person and you have, you know, you have a ramp plan or something, right? So now you can take that knowledge. You have something about, you know, what their need is in the future when they're forecasting their need and how that forecast is changing for their need. And now you can create your forecast of, I'm going to run a, a hiring campaign and I'm forecasting to, you know, do this many hires and these many dates. And now you can do the same thing in your data, which is you can lay down a plan and say, here's the plan I'm going to lay down to align to your plan. I know your plan is changing. No, my plan is going to change a little too. And then I'm going to bring you, hey, let me show you how my forecast is not on plan, right? So this is honesty and transparency, but it's also very useful to say, hey, client, you know, I'm looking like I'm ahead or behind or different than what I originally committed. How does that look relative to your forecast? Because if your forecast is also changing, then we can have that conversation and there's the iteration, right? We can keep checking in and saying, okay, mine's different, yours is different, but they're not different enough to worry. Okay, no, you know, we're pulling in, you're slipping out, we have to do something, you know, whatever. But, but you can't have those conversations and you can't problem solve those things until both sides have that clarity around plan versus forecast and around, you know, here's what I now think is going on in the future, which is new based on what I've recently learned. Interesting. All right. So now I, we mentioned earlier the Talent Development Think Tank, which is coming up on November 6th and 7th in Sonoma, California. And you are leading a session there. The work is the training. Managing for agility means managing for continuous learning. What can we expect from that session at the Talent Development Think Tank? Well, I mean, I think you can start to hear in what we've been talking about this, you know, where the continuous learning falls into this, right? So you've got these people that are clear about their output and they're forward looking. And so they're constantly teaching each other what they're doing and what they're learning, right, about what the future looks like. You have these forward-looking meetings. We talked about that a little bit, where you have this idea that we are in these meetings to teach each other kind of what's going on and to make group decisions about, okay, you know, is that future variance big enough to worry us and should we act on it? And if so, how do we act on it? We haven't talked too much about group decisions, but there's some work around how do we make those decisions once we put an issue on the table and a recommendation on the table and say, you know, how does this work? And much of that process actually has to do with teaching and learning. In particular, decider, who we identify usually as the boss, is in a learning mode initially and trying to learn what everyone knows. And then, you know, they're teaching that person until the decider can come to a decision. We've talked about the links and teams and, you know, we can also talk about kind of on the front line. But really what's going on throughout this system is you have an organization that is systematically taking a step and then learning from it, bringing in that knowledge, drawing up that knowledge into the system, putting it in the right places in the system so that we can act on it, and then saying, okay, what's the next step? 
And we're, you know, we're gnawing or clawing our way through the work one step at a time, one bite at a time, because that's all you can do when things change this fast. You know, this is why computers use iteration to model weather systems, for example. It's not because it's the fast way to do it. It's the only way to do it because things change so fast, right? And that's, this is about, so I'll be talking at the conference about, you know, how we can enable that to happen, how we can let the training come through, the information come through the work, instead of trying to kind of bolt on this secondary training machine. Mm-hmm. Some external training is fine. Don't get me wrong. I make a living doing that. But, yeah, you know, here. if we just try and bolt on the extra training and we don't have that learning inside the organization, we're not going to keep up. Mm, I like it. Sounds very interesting. I'm looking forward to that. And I have to ask, you know, what is your approach to running this session? Is it going to be interactive? Is it going to be iterative at all as you run it? Well, I was going to just lecture for 45 minutes on, you know, slides with small font, but then I realized that nobody listens for more than five minutes anyway. So my general approach to these things is if if I'm talking for more than five minutes, it's time for people to be doing something. Mm. So it'll be pretty interactive and pretty open and hopefully a lot of fun. I love that. I wasn't 100% sure of the answer to that question, but I'm glad that that is the case. When Bennett and I put this together, our big goal was to have a very interactive experiential experience because we've been to so many conferences where people just talked at you with slides that you couldn't read for 45 minutes and it just gets so boring. And we want to be able to have people interact and share answers and things like that. So I'm I'm so glad you're taking that approach and most of our speakers are and we're going to have a fantastic experience there. Before we wrap up, are there any other, you know, we talked about what you're doing with this book and the change management analytics. As you're working with clients and studying what's going on in the workplace, are there any other big trends that you're following that we haven't talked about yet? You know, I think on the talent development side, I think there's one that's worth talking about, which is, you know, I think we've made a good change. We as an industry have made a good change in the last, I don't know, 10 years, maybe more, to go from kind of the tactical to the strategic in the sense of, you know, now we know about strategic talent management and we know that, you know, you need a talent strategy and it's not enough to just manage the hires and fires, right? I think we've taken a good step. I think where we need to kind of go next with that, I I don't know if the trend is going this way or if I want it to go this way, but I think where it needs to go is, you know, I think we're still in a mode in too many organizations where, you know, let's say the CEO is sitting around the table with the senior people and the senior ops person is talking about ops and how it's going to get done. And the senior you know, development person is talking about R&D and how it's going to get done. And we get around to the talent person and they're saying, look, it's important to have a talent strategy. I have a talent strategy. And it's like, that's table stakes. It's good that you have one. Put it down and talk to the people around you about how you're supporting the output of the organization. And I think we're not quite there yet. I think we tend to get lost in our own language you know, around talent strategy. And, and maybe because it's a new language, we're still excited about it. But I think we really need to, as a sort of profession, an industry group, adopt the language of our clients and save those things, you know, about talent strategy and about, you know, succession planning, all those things, bring more of that as internal language and talk to them about, here's how we're going to produce your output for you. Because our function can be a strategic lever to an organization, but too often it's not. And I think it's because they don't understand us. So interesting. And Ed, are there any books that you highly recommend made a big impact on you or that you often recommend besides your own? You know, I finished not too long ago a book called The Insightful Leader by Carly Ann Ferguson. And she's actually a friend of mine, which is why she sent it to me. But what she has done that's brilliant in that book, I think, is she said, every strength you have becomes a weakness. And so let's pay attention to, you know, what those weaknesses look like, how they complement the strengths, and how do we navigate that? The other one is I just started reading uh, Behave by uh, Robert Sapolsky. And that takes a while to get through, but that is just, it's the most complete treatment I've seen of what's actually driving human behavior. And I'm not far enough into it yet to say that I like the whole thing, but I sure have loved what I've read so far. 
Very cool. And then uh, we will once again mention your book, which again is Iterate, Run a Fast, Flexible, Focused Management Team. And uh, we'll put a link to that in the show notes. Imagine people can get that on Amazon. Any other uh, information on where people should go or uh, what they can get with that? Amazon's good. It's everywhere. I think that that website, iteratenow.com, one thing that's worth noting is if you get, do get the book, you get a code. And, or if you buy the ebook too, you get, a, you get a login. You can go there and you can access a bunch of videos that you can use like five-minute videos, four-minute videos around these key topics you can use as tools. So it's, it's kind of a helpful... I think it's a resource beyond just the book. Very cool. All right. So the book is Iterate. The website is iteratenow.com. And you can find Ed at the Talent Development Think Tank on November 6th and 7th in Sonoma, California. And that website to get your tickets is talentdevelopmentthinktank.com. Ed, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast and talk about your research. This has been fascinating and I hope it's been valuable for our listeners. So thanks again for coming on. Andy, thanks again for having me. I enjoyed talking with you. I'm looking forward to seeing you at the Think Tank. Thanks a lot. Yeah, I'll see you there. Take care. If you're looking for a place to connect with colleagues and peers from your industry and find out what other people in talent development are working on, you need to check out the brand new Talent Development Think Tank membership community. Inside, we have members from companies all over the world who are working on all different things in talent development and sharing what's been working, what's been not working, and answering each other's questions so we can all get our jobs done more effectively and be more successful in our careers. If you'd like to join us, we'd love to have you. Just head on over to tdtt.us slash community, and you can use code HOTSEAT for 25% off your subscription. That's tdtt.us slash community and use code HOTSEAT for a limited time for 25% off your subscription. If you have any questions, reach out to me and let me know and we'll see you there. Thanks for listening to the Talent Development Hot Seat. If you got value out of this show, please subscribe, leave a review and share with your colleagues and friends. We want to spread the word and add as much value to the talent development community as possible. And we need your help. As always, you can find more information and connect with me at talentdevelopmenthotseat.com. Take care.